0: Welcome back all you weirdos, Krakoans, and everyone who's ever murdered an entire planet full of asparagus people. It is time for yet another Weird Dose of X. I'm Jason, and here with me is Ruben. Hey, Jason. Hey. This has been a pretty good week, I think. You know, we're coming to the home stretch of this whole event, the whole... We started this uh, podcast first, me and Chris, and now me and Ruben, all that time ago, and there's only four more weeks in this entire event after today, which, wow, that's... I can't exactly say it's gone fast, but I am kind of surprised there's so little left. Do you have the same kind of feeling?
1: Yeah, I think I'm getting to the point where I'm ready for post-X... I I'm not that okay. excited about you know what remains it seems it seems like it's really just kind of the finale and so, to some extent how we get to the ending I don't really care about mm-hmm. I'm more curious to see what happens after the event is over is there anything lasting that plays out of this
0: we are um, doing some water treading this week, and I think the next two weeks—if I look at the lineup—look kind of water treading too. But then those very final two weeks should be should be real bangers. So yeah, we'll
1: and, I, and you know, actually, the one thing I'm sort of dreading, and um, this is where we could insert Jim, just saying that he's a hack. the The next issue of um, Legion of X. Feels really, really, really late, right? So oh,
0: yeah, because it should be all about the big fight between Orinus and uh, Legion David yeah. Haller. Yeah. But that seems like it took place about a year and a half ago, and it took place between two panels. So yeah. maybe there's actually more important stuff there that will be important going forward, but if that's all it is, it feels kind of late. But hey, we'll find out about that in a couple weeks. Our lineup today is Axe X-Men, and then Axe Star Fox, and those two both written by our head of Axe, Kieran Gillen. And then we're going to finish up with X-Men Red, number seven, speaking of stories that take place between panels, by Al Ewing. That one has a, a bit more meat on its bones than, uh, than it really needed to, which is a nice surprise. But first, we're going to talk about some news that came out of, mostly out of NYC Comic-Con this weekend. So, we'll learn more about Sins of Sinister. And yes, as we suspected, it is Age of Apocalypse, but with a Sinister twist kind of theme here. There's going to be a kickoff Sins of Sinister number one issue written by, hey, that of Axe himself, Kieran Gillen. That comes out in January. And then for three months, kind of like Age of Apocalypse, Three of our X-Books, not all our X-Books, but three of our X-Books will have new titles and new artists, but will still be written by the usual writers. So, Immortal X-Men will become Immoral X-Men. Oh, I see what you did there. Still by Kieran Gillen. Uh, X-Men Red will become Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants, still by Al Ewing. And Legion of X will become Nightcrawler's plural. Still by Cy Spurrier. And then there's going to be a finale event called Sins of Sinister Dominion, a one-shot. They haven't announced a writer for that yet, but I, the odds have to be that it's going to be Gillen again, right? To start it and close it off, you think?
1: It would be strange if he was not the closer on this event.
0: Especially since he seems to be kind of the, the writer stirring the drink on the big happenings in the... Uh, the X universe these days. Yeah. And then we're told after the event, quote, all three writers will continue their current story plans. So I guess the events won't be all that world shattering if they're just planning out. They're telling us right up front, yeah, they're, they're going to pick up from where they left off. So, you no, know, don't worry too much, folks.
1: Yeah. And actually, I felt um, a little better about the fact that it's basically nine issues, maybe maybe slightly more, but it's not. This isn't like a 30-issue event. That
0: Yeah, it's replacing nine issues of the existing books. Then we have – they're not calling it Alpha and Omega, but it seems like that's really what it is. So, 11
1: issues. That's still, I guess, uh, enough to give you some meat to the Mm -hmm. whole universe world without it just being added. Yeah,
0: and let's hope they hold off on any other tie-ins because we can see in this event that those tie-ins get a little silly. Yeah. Speaking of uh, maybe more issues, anyone really needed, there are four new X Men related miniseries coming. Bloat? Who said bloat? I never said bloat. We have uh, Rogan Gambit, a five issue mini by Stephanie Phillips, who's written for DC. If you listen to the DC podcast, including Wonder Woman, Harley Quinn, and a little bit of Detective Comics, Uh, X-23, Deadly Regenesis, five-issue mini by Erica Schultz, who has done a a Daredevil annual, but I think otherwise mostly indie work. Uh, The interesting thing here is that they're calling her X-23 again. This is Laura, you know, Wolverine, who we're told over and over again is the real Wolverine, the good Wolverine, even Wolverine says she's Wolverine. So personally, I kind of like that she has a different call name than Logan, because it's just confusing and kind of defeats the purpose to have two people call by the same name. So I'm kind of glad, but I'm sure there'll be people very angry on Twitter about this. Uh, how about you, Ruben? What do you think about Laura Wolverine X-23? You're going to start picking over this? Think-
1: no. I, I I don't have a strong opinion about this character, but I do agree that just calling her Wolverine makes makes it um difficult to differentiate the character. Yeah, character for the period
0: when it. Logan was actually not around. Sure, yeah, it makes it sense. Kind of, Hand over the mantle, but yeah. if you're gonna have two of them, give me a break.
1: And X twenty three is kind of a cool name in my mind, so I'm happy.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a, a sports car feel to it. X twenty three Turbo.
1: Yeah, and the regenerous regeneration the Genesis title um, makes me wonder if it has some sort of connection to X-Men Genesis. I know a lot of these writers really like to kind of maybe pay homage to some of the larger mm-hmm. stories. but
0: Sometimes the titles, they just like, and they reuse, like Inferno, which had nothing to do with the old Inferno, and yeah. Heroes Reborn, I think we had, was kind of... Different. So maybe maybe it's just the title, maybe it's actually connected. I guess we'll find out... Uh, again, this would be like February and yeah. March. Maybe I think Deadly start Genesis. Out. I think that
1: was the one that, that yeah. I was wondering. But that was obviously not an X-Men 3 story, so...
0: Okay, next we have Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain. This is a five-issue mini by, of course, Teeny Howard, following through on her promise slash threat to continue Betsy's story after Excalibur and Knights of X. So I have not really been following her adventures, and I probably will continue, but it's out there.
1: I feel bad for that character, to be honest with you. I'm like i have, I, I don't know, there's gotta be some fans that just really love this version of Betsy, but... Well,
0: there they're definitely are. I don't know if there's a lot of them, but there are some very vocal ones, and I hope they enjoy what they get. Uh, do not look forward, Do do not expect to hear a lot of coverage of that on this particular podcast. Uh, Finally, in this group, we have Bishop War College, another miniseries written by a TV writer. Not usually a great sign to bring a TV person over to comics. His name is Jay Holtham. He's written for Supergirl and Jessica Jones. Okay, some, some comic bookish experience. And also The Handmaid's Tale. So I don't know if that tone's coming over. And we're told Bishop will lead a team of students, including Armor, Surge, Cam Long, Aura Charles, both of those are Vidi characters from Age of X-Men, uh, Amas, who is a new character that showed up recently in Steve Orlando's Marauders. And some places are saying this is going to be historic because it's the first all-black X-Men team. But Armor, I'm pretty sure, is a Japanese girl. So I think maybe Marvel PR got out over their skis a little bit on this.
1: Or maybe it's a new Armor.
0: Uh, Maybe it's new Armor. Maybe things have changed. Maybe uh, all of uh, uh, Sins of Sinister has changed the whole universe, and she comes back different. Uh, Who knows? It's it's comic books. Uh, Again, that's coming out like February, March of next year. And then the last thing we have in news, don't have anything much beyond a name, but Marvel tells us an event called Fall of X is on its way, and that fall will be coming next summer, which is a little confusing, but okay, we'll go with it. Uh, and this is all the information we have so far. One sentence, quote, the X-Men hoped Krakoa would last forever. Okay, two sentences. Time to find out if they were right. I'm guessing no, but well, again, we'll all find out in a little under a year, maybe. So we've been speculating over and over and over again as when is this Crocoan era going to wrap up because it, it feels like it, this can't be the status quo forever. And it seems like, well, maybe over there on the horizon, we're seeing that change coming down.
1: I... I... Don't need to see. I know this. there'll be
0: several people in Slack very, very happy that they hope that the actual X-Men dig their way out of the ground where they've been buried and, and strangle the doppelgangers in their beds yeah. and just go back to what it was, you know, four or five, however many years ago it was when you think the Golden Age ended.
1: This will be my take on this. I, I don't mind this ending. I just don't want this to turn back into a retreaded story that we, that's we've had for 30-odd years.
0: Yeah, a lot of the uh, the takes on Twitter, which of course are not necessarily representative, but a lot of them are. Oh, please don't drag those kids back to the school again. No, no more Westchester School. Please don't bring them back there for the love of God. So we'll see. We'll see if if we do reset to that kind of original status quo ante of the X Men.
1: Yeah, I don't need. I, I don't need them to literally be on Krakoa, right? I could see a post Krakoa. I don't. I definitely don't need to see Resurrection Protocol, right? Because I think that. Led for some sloppy writing, but I don't want this to go back to like. We're almost, you know, extinct, and we're fighting for survival, and it's humans against humans that will never Fired exist. Feared and hated,
0: hated and feared, yes. Yeah, yeah. That, I, that's I think the resurrection lot. thing was a fun story idea, but not one to last forever. So I think it was cool to bring it up and kind of lampshade the idea of death doesn't matter in comic books, and here we'll prove it, right on the page. But it, it can't last forever. Okay, so speaking of things that can't last forever, that was our news segment. We're going on to the titles themselves. This week, we are starting off with Axe X-Men by Kieran Gillen, art by Francesco Mobili, And this, of course, continues the story of that strike team within the progenitor, Uh, The same writer as Axe Avengers that we read last week, but a different artist. Uh, Clearly, this whole three-part story could very well have been told in a one-shot. But hey, why sell the public one good comic when you can instead sell them three okay ones? Profit and loss, I guess it makes sense to do it this way. And just like Axe Avengers was mostly about uh, of the mind Tony Stark, this one is mostly about of the mind Jean Grey. So we start off inside the progenitor. They're still finding their way towards uh, this special magic spot where they have to push a button and blow up the progenitor, I think. And uh, Tony and Sinister have this interesting little exchange where they say, well, maybe instead of blowing it up, maybe we just kind of take control back of it. And then, hey, we can undo all this really awful stuff that's already happened, which ooh, that that seems kind of like a big hint from our head of acts as to how we're going to undo all this, because obviously we're going to undo Damn near all of it, at least. Uh, So maybe we'll use the power of the progenitor to do that. But of course, Makari is super offended by this. She's okay with killing the god she just manufactured, but somehow taking control of it is just, is too far. I don't know about that. But uh, I did like the bit where Sinister says he was only joking. He tried taking control of Regenerator once, of course, back in here in Gillen's own Uncanny X-Men, and it didn't go so well for him. He says he's, quote, all about making brand new, exciting mistakes. That's the scientific method, which I love that quote. That's a great line and is likely a very deliberate reference to those upcoming Sins of Sinister being his new exciting mistakes, especially given Gillen being such a big part of that. So you also looking forward to uh, Sinister's new exciting mistakes?
1: Yeah, I'm going to miss when he's not around. I have a feeling after Sin's will probably be out of the comics for a little bit. Um,
0: maybe. I, I hope he gets a, a worthwhile send-off, though, because he's, he's been fun poking up, poking his head, and making these little remarks every once in a while. We'll see how he plays as a main character, and then maybe we'll see him kind of go away. So and That
1: might be are, the natural progression of Where we go after fall of x right the some of the villains will break off right like you can't literally just live with everybody
0: yeah we need to have the villains go back to being villains again and not just strange bedfellows so our strike team heroes wander around through the progenitor a bit more, passing a room where Cersei and Nemor had a bath together in Eternals number 12. Nice little, little wink there. And they come to this big glowing energy source that's something like a Celestial's heart. The bridge they need to cross goes right through this glowing energy thing. So Marvel Girl uses her psychic hoodoo to split it like it's the Red Sea. And while everyone else crosses, this is when Jean's vision from progenitor starts. She gets called out by the progenitor looking like Professor X, her whole Dark Phoenix period when she genocided the Dabari, those famous asparagus-looking aliens. Uh, she gets scolded for not being present on the Quiet Council when it was time to vote to attack the Celestial the last time around whether she did the right thing to quit the council, to be on the X-Men, what was her duty, different ways. Uh, Sinister makes fun of the whole Freudian symbolic silliness, which, again, is really nice of him because it, it saves us the trouble of doing it. And then Jean contacts the progenitor directly. Uh, progenitor calls Wolverine and Sinister in as character witnesses, which is kind of neat. Uh, Sinister says, I cloned Jean Gray, Referring, of course, to Madeline Pryor and other attempts. And I couldn't clone Jean Grey. She is unique. He's then completely disgusted by his own honesty that was forced out of him, which, again, wonderful, sinister moment. And then Wolverine is kind of boringly, irrationally devoted to Jean because she has red hair and she made out with him that one time, so of course, he loves her unconditionally. So that was kind of neat. But what the progenitor really can't get past is the whole Dabari massacre thing, which, Again, it's like dragging up the things they always drag up for Tony. This is the thing that's always dragged out for Jean. She was the Dark Phoenix. Was it really her doing it? Was it a cosmic entity controlling her? Is she to blame? Has she cleaned all the red out of her ledger? Uh, she says that when she went to Game World, for instance, with the X-Men and that kind of forgettable mini arc, uh, she prevented the blowing up of a whole bunch of planets. So, hey, it cancels out. And the progenitor says, nah, it doesn't work that way. We can't make up for something like that. And Jean Grey, this is what I thought was surprising: she fails. She gets the thumbs down. Did that? Did that surprise you too? No, <laughs> no. Okay, so tell me why not.
1: I'm not a big uh, Jean Grey fan. I think she's kind of ridiculous. I mean, she's extremely powerful, right? But sure. Um, I think I am of the mind of the progenitor on this one. That I almost feel for for me as a fan, I feel like her character arc peak was really being Dark Phoenix. And what that she is so- what
0: the movies keep going back to, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And it, it's maybe a meta commentary, right? I think people just haven't figured out a way to make her more interesting or like the thing that defines her that kind of we get beyond that. And uh, for now, that. It's, in, in my mind, she's just kind of like, yeah.
0: Okay. So again, I, I was surprised. Logan was surprised. Uh, Gene was very surprised. Uh, Logan, I like Logan's line here. Always Chuck star pupil, not used to failing tests. You know, you, we've all either seen or perhaps been that student who doesn't ever fail a quiz, and then they fail a quiz one time, and they just can't handle it. So I thought that was kind of a cool little, little uh, Listen, note there.
1: She's not, she's not Sue Storm, so what were you expecting? <laughs> oh, who is?
0: Is anyone Sue Storm? No one is, is fit to uh, kiss her sandals. But anyway, so Jean is angry now. She pledges to, quote, annihilate the progenitor for the hypocrisy of condemning her at the same time, the progenitor is in the process of destroying the whole Earth. So, hey, who are you to cast that first stone when you're literally casting stones? So, this story will be continued in Acts Eternals next week. So, what what did you think overall of this this issue, Ruben? Tell me what you got.
1: As a single issue, it's fine. I, I do like hearing Gillen's writing. The personal moments, character moments, those all are entertaining. But the nagging thought in my mind is you know, we were told these are essential issues and I have not story essential. Yes. Any of this is essential. And like you said, this could have been, you know, I don't even know if it needed a full issue. We could have had this, you know, a few pages, maybe half, half a book somewhere it just feels padded
0: it does uh some of the outfits look a little padded too but uh, that's a little personal uh but the art otherwise i think looks really nice i think they do a nice job with this this was francesco mobley did a nice job uh making those of the mind scenes look a little more watercolory still clearly the same characters the same book but differentiating enough to give it that kind of dreamlike feel so good work there
1: but, and yeah. I think ultimately, maybe this is none of the sitting for me because these are character-driven <laughs> arcs of characters I don't particularly get excited about. They're
0: they're character studies, but most of it is character studies that we've seen these same beats so many times before.
1: Yes, yes,
0: that's so, it. Yeah, I, I mean, we're given numbers here. I'd give this probably a six point three.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was thinking six. So we're, we're in the same. We're roughly the same thing.
0: Okay, anything else to add about X-Men before we get to our next issue?
1: Uh, The only thing I'm going to say is I'm sort of disappointed that – and damn you for putting this thought in my head. Uh Uh-oh. Like, we still don't know how they got into the progenitor, and I don't think we're going to ever find out. And It is driving me crazy at this point. The
0: progenitor was distracted by uh, Jack of Knives, and then they were inside. Okay. Must have been a a hatch. There's always a hatch.
1: I just wish you had never told me that. (laughs)
0: Uh, oh, well. Uh, when you get uh, resurrected, you can have that part of your memory edited out. Yes, like know, for it.
1: sure. That's what will happen. Yep.
0: Okay. Next issue, also by Kieran Gillen, is Axe Starfox. Written by, of course, Kieran Gillen. Art by Danielle De Nucciolo. I attempted my Italian accent there. I hope it wasn't too horrific. So this has the same look, the same trade dress uh, as Axe Avengers, Axe X-Men, and Axe Eternals, same writer as those, but it's it's not at all part of that same trilogy. This is this is off on the side. But it is a, another character study, but no of the mind stuff going on here. This is looking at Star Fox and what he's been up to. Uh, first thing I got to say here is that the art is really not for me.
1: Yeah, I was going to comment on that and say the same thing. It's kind of distracting, and I'm often a fan of these stylized looks, but it's almost like, you know, sometimes I really like the anime style in comics, and this looks like cheap anime <laughs> style in comics. Not every anime looks great, right? Like some of them, thinking like a speed racer style, right? Yeah. are, are just not up to snuff for my liking, um, and this this is of that I'm
0: similar. I, I don't mind things looking different, but I think this different just looks really on the on the basic side. And for a book that rests so much on getting Star Fox's emotions across, his face every time was not not nice to look at. And we really need to concentrate on his face.
1: Yeah, it's weird because the backgrounds and things are pretty busy, right? But it's almost busy in a way that it, my eyes don't really know where to focus.
0: Yeah, the the face is just really heavy lips and eyebrows and not a lot in between. So, but anyway, that's, that's the art, and we can still read the story. It, art a little bit distracting, but the, the character studies of Star Fox, aka Eros, which is important, and it's told out of order. I'm going to flip everything around to put it in order because I don't think it really added that much to do it out of order. So, in the distant past, we see Eros as a baby. The second attempt by Mentor and Susan, Susan, I'm going to call her, to create actual celestial offspring. Remember, they had that whole idea, we think we should have actual babies. You can't have babies, we want babies, and they had a whole war and they got sent off to try to have some babies and see what happened. Now, Eros himself isn't a total failure. He's kind of a a lightweight, successful adventurer type. But then uh, who's his brother again, Ruben? Remind me who Eros' brother is? Yeah. That's somebody you never heard of. Thanos. Thanos, yeah. So if you're putting these on the scales, you've got a, a moderate success compared with Thanos, oh that <laughs> the, the in total that experiment's gotta be the biggest failure in the history of failures, yeah, so Star fox himself feels like a huge failure, like right from the beginning, which is really setting up his character arc here. He was successfully integrated into the machine that is Earth, though, which is something Thanos apparently can never be, so that's why he can be born again in the exclusion later on, so that's the first chunk, and then, in the less distant past, we see arrows carrying on, and what we're told is. Deep Space Party Zone number 12, which feels very Doctor Who to me. And, you know, if there is such a place, that that's where Eros would be. Uh, and he's sought out and spoken to by a Rigelian recorder, which is a weird deep cut. You familiar with these Rigelian recorders? No, I was just like, okay. The only reason I know is because in the, uh, the cast list at the beginning, it says recorder. And if you look at him, you can tell he's kind of robotic. So yeah, the Rigelian recorders, they're almost like a robot version of the Watchers. The Rigelians themselves created these robots to kind of go out all across the universe and look really hard at anything that seems interesting and then fly on back to Rigel and, you know, transmit their information at which time they're erased and sent out again. So I don't know why it had to be a recorder. Gil just must like those characters and want to bring them up because all this recorder does is tell Eros, hey, by the way, dude. Thanos, your brother Thanos has just destroyed Titan. So it just reinforces Eros' inferiority complex regarding his brother. And then in the even less distant past, we see Eros being reborn the exclusion after his body was used to bring Thanos back to life. Uh, which must be related to the whole Guardians of the Galaxy stuff where Thanos came back.
1: Yes, which I still haven't figured out where that takes place, but I I committed to figuring it out.
0: And then we once again see him broken out of that exclusion by Cersei and Jack of Nights. I think this is the third, maybe fourth time we've had that scene but okay, that's where he came from. And now we're up to basically the present. You know, progenitor trying to destroy Earth, Star Fox flying around, trying to act like a regular superhero, right? Saving people and burning buildings, using his love powers to make hydrogen atoms love each other so much they create fusion bombs. That's yeah. interesting. I, I don't think we'll ever see that power used again, but for one for one panel, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, And this was to destroy a meteorite sent down by the progenitor to kill all humans, right? So again, we're being very inconsistent as exactly what is the progenitor doing right now to try to make all the humans die? Sometimes you just see beams appearing out of nowhere. Sometimes we see rocks from space. We see panic in some parts of New York City, other places, people walk around getting hot dogs. Uh, I don't know. So, uh, Star Fox decides okay, doing this one by one isn't working so well. He has some minor successes. Overall, a losing battle he's fighting here. They're trying to, you know, keep some people alive while the machine that is Earth tries to resist progenitors saying to self destruct, and while that strike team is trying to make the progenitor self destruct. Uh, so, I think the, the best scene here is when Eros uh, uses his love powers to comfort a dying human being. Did did you like that scene as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like the one time maybe that he was doing something of value. And I hate to say it that way when he, Saved everyone with the hydrogen bomb, but it almost some of that super heroic stuff almost just felt like cheap in a way. Yeah, it
0: feels cheap. It feels kind of pointless because there seem to be thousands of these meteorites raining down on Earth. Yeah, and sure. Yeah, each one is killing a thousand people, but to stop one of them doesn't seem all that big of a deal when we know it's all going to be reset. But this scene with an actual individual person who's suffering and dying and scared. The art here is really the worst art in the entire book, sadly. But the him using what he what he says to this this uh, poor guy, he says, "I'm sorry. It was a beautiful world, and it was good to live here at least for a while. It was good to meet you." And the man says, "Thank you," and dies. And that is a touching moment. And I was not expecting to get a touching moment in this. And there it is. So uh, good work, Kieran Gillen, for surprising me on that one. That was that was really nice. And this is when Star Fox realizes he has to do something kind of bigger. His new, his new idea is, hey, this whole machine that is Earth has all these little portals and places in between it that we're told are so much huger and fractally bigger than anything else outside it. So why don't we just let all the surviving human beings hide inside those portals, as long as the Earth stays together, they'll be okay. And of course, if the whole Earth blows up, everyone's dead anyway, so we might as well try it. Yeah. Now He goes to Zerus, Because I mean, he is still a prime eternal, but he can't do this all on his own. He's no Superman. Yeah. Uh, he goes to Zurus and says, hey, I've got this idea. Zurus is a little more conservative than him, which I, I think here, it gets kind of cool. It really is uh, Kieran Gillum talking about a balance between forces of progressivism or progress with Eros and the forces of conservatism for Zurus, and he doesn't put his finger on the scales either way. He's kind of showing them both to be valid and important, which I thought was an interesting thing in a 2022 comic book. But they have, of course, an obligatory fight scene that was kind of dumb as they argue with each other. Uh, but what what does uh, Eros offer Zurus to get his support?
1: Oh, the control of the Maternals
0: again. Again, right? Because again, speaking of going back to status quo ante, who is always in charge of the Eternals? Who's always Prime Eternal? It's always Zurus, unless there's a story going on and for some reason somebody else has to have it. So he says, hey, Zurus, you go along with me. Uh, and When this is all done, assuming there's still a planet, uh, then I'll throw my support behind you to be Prime Eternal again. And Zurus kind of, he goes along with it. And then we see... Uh, another kind of nice scene, Eros being Eros, kind of cheerily, cheekily inviting humans into these hexagonal portals, and I guess that's where all of humanity is going for the not last little bit of this event.
1: I did kind of laugh. Um, maybe I'll have to give it another read to get a sense of like the conservative versus progressive comparison. I didn't really think of that, but I, I could be overreading it. But you know, I it gotta it's, be to it's a great, it's a great thought, um, and. I'm going to look at it from that perspective, but I actually, my, my take was really like poor like such a character assassination. He's always he's just shown as like a jerk fighting with people.
0: He's seen that change has been so bad so many times, right? Oh, yeah. let's try to reproduce.
1: That didn't yeah. work out
0: so well. Oh, let's put this one guy in charge. Oh, he's going to wipe out all life in the entire universe. That didn't work out so well. As far yeah. as he those, keeping things the same has worked out pretty well compared with the alternatives, so maybe we should do that.
1: I just think that the idea of him being against saving lives is a little different than the very first introduction of the character.
0: Certainly, certainly, for sure.
1: But it's fine. It's, it's fine, right? Like people are allowed to have their own takes on characters. And...
0: Absolutely. Yeah, so we get that, and we get the, the kind of conflict or the tension between Star Fox, the adventurer, and Eros, the Eternal. And at the end, he's trying to integrate those parts of himself as well, too. He says, he reminds us that he was an Avenger, which he was. He is an Eternal. And he says he's also, quote, the mutant child of an unchanging race. Now, we're playing fast and loose with the word mutant here, as we have for this whole series. So it works. Like, what is a mutant? That's kind of what this series is about. So if a child of a Eternal who's not supposed to reproduce, but he has these magical, uh, it's not the mega bands. What bands are they using? The quantum bands to make themselves fertile. That, that's a mutant, okay. And it does make him all parts of the A X E trifect, right? And Eros has kind of been shown as having both male kind of aspects and female kind of aspects. So he is a little bit of everything, which kind of works. So that is. Axe Star Fox. So, yeah, the, the art held it back for me. The story I thought was the most interesting of these Kieran Gillen one-shots yet. Uh, putting it all into account, typing all into my spreadsheet here, my brain. I'm going to call this maybe a 7.3 out of 10. Could have been higher. The art, art knocks it down a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm knocking it down a lot more because of the art. For me, this is 6.5. Um, but I'm going to give it another read. Like you said, I did think it was a lot more interesting and um, story essential. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it has more meat on it, both story-wise and like subtext-wise than a lot of these other times had.
1: And I care for Star Fox about the same amount that I care for the other two characters that we've had featured, and yet this this sort of showed me that, oh, maybe he's more of an interesting character than I give him credit for. And, you know, I, I, I don't know that I'll actually seek out a Star Fox story based on reading this, but I wouldn't mind seeing him show up again.
0: Well, he is supposed to be big in the MCU, right? Is it it Harry Styles who was playing him at the end of Eternals? Some, I, th- I think it was Harry Styles, or some big name person, so... Yeah,
1: I do not like to featured it. In, uh, not that oh the okay Eternals
0: dude. are necessarily going to come back at the MCU anytime soon, but maybe maybe we'll see some Star Fox action on a big screen. Okay, here we are to our final and possibly best book of the week, uh, X-Men Red Number 7, written for sure by Al Ewing. And the art, well, it's either by Matybek Musabikov or maybe by Stefano Caselli, depending on whether you believe the cover which says Musabakov, or the credits page, which says, says Caselli. So I think there was a bit of a Marvel production snafu going on here. And the credits are in a weird place in this issue. They don't show up until page 22 in my digital copy, which is maybe a record for this era of the x So So it, it seems likely that because they were in a weird place, maybe the editors didn't quite notice it. Something went wrong. Okay, can't really hold that against either Al Ewing or whoever the artist was. And the art the art actually looks really top-notch. I'm very yeah. happy with the art here. So this book breaks up nicely into three quite separate segments. We have first segment, Death of Magneto, second segment I call Game of Seats, and third segment, hey, remember that Abigail brand lady? So completely it's almost like almost like three separate stories like you get back in the day in like the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, when you'd have actual separate stories in one issue. The recap page also says this takes place after Judgment Day number five at that can't be right, because at least that first segment, the Death of Magneto, takes place during Judgment Day number four. So yeah. whenever the other stuff happens... Well,
1: everything, which, everything after that recap page on page 22 takes place after five. <laughs>
0: maybe. Maybe that's what they meant. But this first scene for certainly does not. This is what I'm calling Death of Magneto. It only lasts like five pages. So back in Judgment Day number four, uh, Magneto and Storm confronted Oranos inside the machine, while Tony Stark hacked into the controls of his armories, which is kind of amazing because for centuries, not even Fastos, who's also an Eternal, could access those Eternal technology armories. But hey, give Tony Stark five minutes and a paperclip, and he's in. I would go with it. Sure, why not? Uh, Anyway, Magneto gets control of those armories for dramatic purposes, and he uses them to defeat, but not quite kill Oronos. Again, because that would kill a human and yeah, they don't want to mess with that.
1: Yeah, Jason, I'm going to I'm gonna get hung up on that comment. I, I just think these systems are actually probably really easy to hack. And these are okay. like your parents, right? <laughs> it's like, did you unplug the computer? <laughs> did you click the button that said Armories of Uranus when you're trying to access it? This is not rocket science.
0: The input button on the TV... So you can go to the Roku player. A nice look at Orono says as the guy who watches Fox News all day. I can go with that. Anyway, okay. Headcanon accepted. Moving forward. Uh, <laughs> so this issue picks up just like a bare moment later. Still inside the machine, Magneto lays dying in, in Storm's arms. Uh, just enough life, enough enough life left in him to have this this deep, meaningful conversation. He says yeah. a couple things. He does not want to be resurrected. He made a promise in front of the Great Ring uh, to be truly of Araco, and he doesn't want to rescind that. Both because he's a man of honor, at least his own kind of honor. And also he thinks, hey, you know, you guys are going to need a Rocco on your side. And if you make me into a retroactive lying Perkoan, that's not going to go over so well. And number two, he wants Aurora to, quote, watch Charles. He does not at all trust Professor X as far as he can, you know, throw him not even using his power of mastery of magnetism. He says, three began Perkoa, Moira betrayed us of course, back in Inferno. I deserted my post. That's when he left the Quiet Council and, you know, by the beginning, X-Men read, and now Charles is alone with his dream. So we get one kind of last, at least for now, look at that whole difference between the two men, Charles dreaming to persuade the world to love mutants, Magneto's desire to assure their safety through strength, love us or hate us. And he says Krakoa was a compromise which surely was. That was one of the founding ideas of this era. But Magnino here has an interesting thought. He thinks that Charles is a good man, but even more than that, he thinks Charles wants to be seen to be a good man. So kind of an ultimate virtue signaling he's worried about here. He thinks that Charles will, in, in a crisis, choose to act or maybe not act and to, quote, make martyrs of us all, meaning all mutants. So he's worried that instead of defending Krakoa, Charles doesn't want to look like a big meanie and will let all the mutants die. So Storm agrees to keep an eye on him, and then Magneto dies.
1: I'm going to quickly interject. My my thought here is... This is setting up Fall of X, and this is why I don't think it's Fall of the Krakow era. I actually think it's going to be a Fall of Charles Xavier story. Ooh,
0: that's a that's a that's a pretty warm take. I like it. I like it. Handle that with some oven mitts. Uh, yeah. So Storm agrees, and Magneto dies, and then we get again in that final moment. Uh, another view of him getting that final vision of his dead daughter Anya getting the you passed thumbs up from the progenitor. That's the end of that scene. Which, you know, doesn't tell us anything we didn't know before, but that that little vision of how Magneto thinks of Charles at the very end was, was pretty neat, was, was well, well told, well written.
1: Yeah, this was a very emotional section, and, and kudos to the artist, <laughs> the unknown artist. The picture of Storm kind of crying over the death of, of Eric here really got to me. I actually kind of felt empathy, and that's hard to say, right? Like looking at a hand-drawn picture of a face and then feeling the emotion they're feeling.
0: The way his face is drawn right before the end, he's kind of staring off into his own demise is is pretty haunting. And again, this is a, a bit of the story. We already pretty much knew what happened, but if it's told well, it can still be quite satisfying. So I think that's what it was. Section two, Game of Seats. Uh, this is about 12 pages, and this goes back to Araco Prime. And we see the people left there who aren't so happy with each other anymore, right? Uh, that's kind of most of the remaining members of the Great Ring. We see Iska the Unbeaten no longer being forced to fight anybody. Uh, and she's contemplating this whole mound of skulls left behind by Orinos and made into an X for some reason. Okay, it looks cool on the page. Uh, the Iraqi poet, Lotus Logos, speaks. And I don't know that we've mentioned this specifically before, but his his uh, font, his text bubbles are get are drawn differently. Almost like a handwritten script kind of look to it, which I think is kind of neat because he's the poet, he's the artist, and it kind of makes him seem like he's speaking like a poet with this extra level of depth and beauty behind it. Yeah, I I haven't looked up who the the letter is, but uh, I I think that works. But yeah, there's some some friction here. because, you know, Iska just you know, took the side of the bad guys because she has to be on the winning side all the time. Uh, so Lotus Logus says that the Dawn Table is really in trouble. He says the Dawn Table, which had three members, he says that table lays empty with two honored dead. That's Magneto, who was killed by Ornos, and Idol, killed by Iska, and then one I named Traitor, of course, being Iska. He calls her Iska the Unbeaten, Iska the Rogue. Here's the hard part, the, the pointy part, Iska of Amenth. Ouch. Because referring back to when she has to be on the winning side. So she took the side of the Menti demons way back in those days of old. Yep, when annihilation. So does uh, th- does Iska say, You got me. I got to resign in disgrace here?
1: Yeah, no, she's too proud. Basically says, Who are you people to judge me? And. You know, you basically only have the freedom to judge because I abstain from ruling this ruling body.
0: Yeah, she says, I can kill any of you at any time. I've defeated you all either in the ring or in just practice. You know, what do you got? And the other members of the council say, yeah, you could beat us, but we're going to fight anyway. Uh, Lotus Logus says, hey, art lives forever, which, okay, that's that's a nice idea, but I think also not dying is also quite pleasant. Uh Aura Serrata. I think this is maybe the best image we've seen of Aura Serrata's actual body so far, where you see that she's a body with legs and arms and a chest riding on top of one giant eye, which has only been, been discussed in text before. I don't know if we've ever seen it quite so well. Uh, she says, yeah, none of this has ever happened before. We've never had one member of the council kill another member of the council, you know, aside from being in the ring. Uh Xylo says I can't remember, but I can't remember squat anyway, since you know all my hard drive body was destroyed by uh Oronos. And while they're squabbling. Who who shows up to kind of resolve this squabble?
1: Yeah, it's the night council members with Storm.
0: It is so. It's it's Storm and uh, she. They've been all bamped back there by size of the smoke, and with them is uh, the Fisher King, of course, and also Roberto, who is is drawn oddly pudgy here. Doesn't he look kind of very <laughs> kind of, doughboy look to him?
1: Yeah, yeah, he's a little been enjoying his wealth,
0: I guess so. I mean, he was only recently reincarnated after Iska snapped his neck, so he should still be pretty close to his sexy itself, but maybe he's just standing awkwardly. I, I don't know. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Roberto throws some more shade at Iska's sister, Genesis, who's in X-Men Red. Every issue, somebody takes a little pot shot at Genesis in absentia, saying that, yeah, she wasn't such a great leader. She had all these weird ideas. She knocked down the night council when they spoke up. Uh, if she was such a great leader, uh, Roberto says here, then why didn't the Iraqi ever actually win? right? You're you're on this, you sure, Iska, you can't lose, but most of the time that just means you can't really win either. It's just internal stalemate. And then, so Iska's just going to start killing Killin' Dude. She's ready to start. Killin' Dude's all over the place. Fisher King ste- steps up and issues a challenge. Uh what did you remember what this uh, this challenge was he, he gives her?
1: Yeah, it's the it's the challenge of a contest of understanding. And he says the one who understands the meaning of lost most is the winner.
0: Hmm. Yep, that is lost. That's not lost.jpg, the four panel comic. It became a meme this is like the actual concept lost of the TV lost. show lost. <laughs> lost the TV show oh that's a whole different podcast uh so this is interesting i mean we've said that iska is is kind of more of a a concept that a character, almost a logic puzzle, like something out of Alice in Wonderland, right? That uh, She can't lose. So she can also, also can't back down from a challenge, apparently, because we saw that Roberto challenged her way back when uh, Magneto was fighting for Stephen the Council. And she accepts the challenge, and we get, she gets a flashback in, in data page form, which was not the most dramatic way it could have been done, but it is efficient. And it does something pretty amazing here. It makes Iska this kind of a joke of not really a character into a tragic character we can feel badly, right? Her inability to lose isn't a gift. She, it's a curse. It, it basically takes away her free will.
1: Yeah, a slave to her power. Yep.
0: And And how can she even enjoy victory? How can she understand what it means to win when you know all along she couldn't lose, like what fun! It's like when you're you're playing Monopoly against your toddler. <laughs> is, it, is it satisfying? To win? Or you know, playing you know arm wrestling against a toddler, right? Yeah. It's not satisfying to win. You knew you could never possibly lose, so how could you feel like you won anything? Yeah. So that was that was a cool use of this character. And yeah. one second later, she realizes, well, she has won the contest, right? She has to win the contest. Yeah. But in winning the contest, she's come to understand loss, and she realizes that she has to resign. Yeah. To be a Rocky means to be part of a people who are all about loss.
1: Or at least they, the possibility, right? Like yes, in the they, face of in the face of mortality, you still live.
0: They are not afraid to die. They have to be their 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 true facing the uh, kind of existential facing death selves, and she can't be part of that.
1: Yeah, she realizes uh, she's not actually Iraqi by those measures.
0: She even gets a visitation from the progenitor here in the form of Tarn the freaking uncaring. Oh my god. Who apparently was her husband at some point in the past?
1: Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you about that because they talk about him or basically her marrying somebody who was like one of the summoners and was pale. And I was like, "Is that?" I
0: think it's Tarn. They've been hinting that there was this whole time in the prisons connected to the Fisher King, and that he was part of that. She was part of that. I think that's what they're kind of hinting around. Maybe we'll get some more solidity about that going forward. But he appears as the progenitor, and she wins again. She gets the thumbs up, which is such a tragic thumbs up. It's just showing that even now when clearly she does not deserve to win a thumbs up from the progenitor, she can't lose. Oh, that's so amazing. That's an amazing moment. And then she she walks off into the sunset, still defiant, still threatening to maybe kill everybody in the future. Uh, and I think this is the last we're going to see of her for a while.
1: Yeah. yeah. She's effectively set up to be a potential big bad for some future writer, but I don't get the sense that anyone's going to pick this up immediately.
0: Yeah, it, it reminds me of what you said about Sinister back when we talked about, well, what is the sins of Sinister event going to be? Maybe we get his big climax then he goes away for a bit. This was Iska's big climax. Uh, yet yeah, she's a total gimmick character, more of a, a logical paradox than a person, but Al Ewing manages to humanize her. I mean, she's not actually human, but go with it. Uh, and, and makes her more of a character than she's ever been before. So- Good, good work, Al Ewing on there. I'm not always going to say good work, Al Ewing, but in this book, I think this is the best Al Ewing book I've ever read. I'm, I'm really happy
1: with how. Yeah, he's, I'm glad to hear you say that because I feel like every issue X Men read is good to great, and yeah. more often great than good.
0: I think it's really impressive how he fits this book into the larger story, but manages to give it very much its own feeling, its own spin as well.
1: And to your point, you know, just looking at the Iraqi in general. Uh, X of Swords, I don't think I would rate that as a must-read event series, and yet it feels like we've been paid off a little bit for having gone through that.
0: Very true. It it retroactively makes that event better, so good for them. So uh, just to wrap this up really quick, so now we've got like musical chairs for the great ring seats. Storm gives up the day seat of all around us, to Lotus Logus says, "You got to take over now." She realizes, "Hey, I'm part of Earth and Irako. I really shouldn't be in charge of Araco, Which maybe she could have realized that uh, several issues ago. But all right,
1: fair enough. I mean, she did basically come back and forth like five times and was never ever there until the end for the right battle. Maybe
0: that's why she realizes, "Oh, actually, I, I thought I could. I thought I could have it all, but yeah. maybe not." She does take the seat of loss that had been Magneto's. Uh, when the art here shows Magneto's helmet in the clouds in the background, presumably manipulated by Storm, that was really cool little touch. Yeah. Uh, and she just did experience a lot of loss, so it makes sense. And she says that she's going to keep the seat for now. Maybe she'll take another seat in the future. So... Uh, the other two Dawn Seats, the Seat of Victory had been Iska's. the Seat of Stalemate that have been Idols, those are still vacant uh, and so was the Dusk Seat, the Seat of Dreams, since Lotus Logos gives that Seat up as far as we know. I don't think it would have two for Storm's new Seat. So the Garden of Rocco is still a mess. Uh, are they still under attack? Not really. I'm, I'm sure that uh, uh, Druig would still love to mess him up, but Druid's not in charge anymore.
1: Yeah, once, I, I'm going to say once Irines is taken out, let's say they're okay. And that they, they Source of seems to think the progenitor says we're all being judged. So anyone that was born of Earth would be judged, meaning these people on Mars should also be subject to judgment. Maybe he just hadn't got around to it He's yet. still
0: too busy on Earth. He did manage to find time to, to judge Iska. That was maybe a special case. But yeah, it, it's not entirely clear how much Mars depends on the acts events going well on Earth. Or maybe it's that, who knows? But yeah, I, I think maybe this book is going to go on and go back to normal or its own version of normal outside the event going forward. Okay, on to the very last section, which is, hey, remember that Abigail Brandlady? Only three pages here. Takes place up on the keep, which is that space station above Mars that is a reality warped duplicate of that other former sword station called the Peak. And this was created back in planet sized by that weirdo Jamie Braddock, and it wasn't until as a very issue that I, I finally got the joke that keep and peak being kind of the same word backwards. Oh, I just got it. Okay, the keep, the peak, they're the same station kind of not. Uh, and Cable is there with Wizkid, who, you know, this was two characters back in Al Ewing's previous book, which was called was called Sword. He's up there with Wizkid. And Cable says some semi-convincing, semi-convin- scientific-sounding gobbledygook about how, oh, this station is quantumly entangled with that station now that Abigail Brand has just been resurrected because we saw her die uh, from Ornos and be resurrected on Krakoa. Now, Abigail Brand is logging back into her secret notes back at the peak to see what she doesn't remember, right? Because she's so scheming, she knows that she's going to do scheming some more schemes in between resurrections and backups, so he has, she has to access her old notes, and somehow that means that Wizkid here can read those notes now. Does it make
1: sense? I didn't really like this Enough. part, and even goes out to say, oh, I'm not hacking her system. It's just, since it's the same station, at too physical places like i get to see what's on her screen and that was almost an eye roll moment for me i was like (laughs) seriously like she didn't realize that and yeah i just you know i I have a tech job, right? And and I've got a computer monitor. So this is the idea. Like, literally, there's another room in this building, right? That's got my monitor. And as I open my email, like, my email's on their screen. Like, that just would not happen, right?
0: It's quantum. They've been entangled.
1: Yeah. Does she not hire tech support to, like, make sure that... <laughs>
0: well, she did She did hire tech support. And who is her tech support? It's WizKid. <laughs>
1: you know? But he noticed it and was like, great, I'm going to just not Exploit mention this. That.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Nobody, no one actually trusts Abigail B grand. So, I think if WizKid knew about this security hole, he wouldn't have spoken up. Uh, So, I'm okay in a comic book tech. I'm fine going with this here. So, they see whatever she's accessing. We don't know which of her schemes they can see now, but it's got to be a good one because Cable is is really ticked off and is, you know, making sure his gun is is loaded even though she's not there to shoot. So this is I think what was going to be very the very next story coming out uh in issue 8 of X-Men Red. I think we're going to find out some more about Abigail Grant and Cable coming to blows, which seems like lots of fun to me.
1: Yeah, and the art here in the second part seems different, so I'm speculating that maybe the maybe the title page artist Um, or on the, like, info page is just for the last half of it.
0: Could be, but it is the credits, so the credits should list all the
1: artists. Anyways.
0: Who knows? I think whoever did it, it all looks good. The three sections look kind of different, especially that last one, which makes sense. The last one has a little bit of that vinyl... Action figure looked to the face, they don't care for, but you know, up in the high tech satellite, I'm good with that. But yeah, the, the next issue of this comes out November 2nd, the same day as the Judgment Day Omega, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be set after the event. And I am, I'm looking forward to this a lot. And this was my favorite book of the week. Uh, it often is. X-Men Red has, has been become one of my favorites. And I have this up at, oh, call it an 8.5 out of 10. Good book.
1: Yeah, that's where I was at, too. Very solid. Always happy to read it. And happy to hear that he's budding up with Kieran Gillen for an upcoming event. Thank you,
0: everyone, for joining us one more time. And thank you, Ruben, for, for sharing with us your insights. And we'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Bye.